Well, I need to confess before I move any further in the service, I came up to the pulpit at the, uh, during my time to preach in the last service, and my sermon notes had disappeared. And I blamed Kenan in my mind. And I said, I am going to get him, Lord, have mercy. And I went back to my study, and there were my sermon notes. So, Brother Kenan, I need to apologize for things I said about you in my mind, okay? Have y'all ever done that? Uh, you ever gone to the pulpit, uh, brother, you, you remember coming to the pulpit and have forgotten your notes, but I was able to preach from my phone. My eyes have not gotten adjusted yet to that smaller font, but uh, it was hilarious. So I was doing the offering time in the, in the middle service, and I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do. And then the Lord says, you have your phone right there. Everything's going to be all right. So, so for those of you that are at home and for those of you that are here on campus, thank you so very much, Greg and the band have done a great job this morning while Wason is, is helping his in-laws move over from Georgia. And uh, we appreciate uh, uh, Brother Wason, his ministry with us, but we appreciate uh, Brother Greg and, and the band being able to lead us in worship today. But, you know, last week, historically, Easter is not a big offering, uh, at least in my 30-plus years in the ministry. But when Brother Greg came and showed me what our offering was last week, I just got to brag on you all. Thank you for your faithfulness. We've been singing about faithfulness. And thank you as well for your giving to the Annie Armstrong Easter offering. What a blessing that we are almost to our goal, and we will surpass that probably with our tithes and offerings today and your almsgiving. Uh, we know, uh, because uh, we've been Southern Baptists here for our 200-plus year history, that we uh, support North American missionaries through the Annie Armstrong Easter offering. So please continue to give. Please continue to support. And as you see on the screen, the ways to give, many of you have given online, fbcathens.org. Many of you have learned how to give on your cell phone. And some of you mail your offerings in. And it's always fun to go to the mailbox. But we have offering boxes on our entrances and exit doors here in our sanctuary and around our campus. So once again, we say thank you. But, you know, giving is an act of worship. Prayer is an act of worship. So I want you to bow your heads with me both at home and here on campus today. And we're going to pray over our offering, but we're also going to pray over the message today. I believe God has a word for me. I believe God has a word for you. I pray that we will both listen. Lord Jesus, thank you for our services today. And Lord, we did five last week and and Lord, this is our third and concluding service of this morning. I pray that your people have been encouraged. I, I pray that Sunday school was a blessing. Zeke said the, the youth time was awesome, and so we're very grateful for that. Danny said that kids' worship was over the top today, Daddy. And so, Lord, thank you that all ages in our church are being ministered to. Father, I pray that in these next few moments, as people give at home and we will give at the conclusion of our service when we find that offering box, those who are on campus. I pray that we would remain faithful so that we may continue to do the things you've called us to do in Athens and Limestone County and beyond. Father, I think you have a word for us today from Scripture in John 21. There are some of us, Lord, that need to be encouraged. Lord, knowing that we're 13 months into this adventure, Lord, we can see the light at the end of the tunnel. 
We know that, Lord, there will come a day where there will be no need for any mask of any kind at any time. But I'm so thankful for a church family that's willing to submit and willing to do what we've asked them to do. And today's been a good day. So, Father, these next few moments, would you just hide me behind the cross today and let me minister to our church family at home and our church family here on campus. And may you, O Lord, get all the credit, all the honor, and all the glory for it all. We ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. After the resurrection, so Kenan and I got together and I called him into my office and said, hey, brother, what direction are we going to go now? We finished up the characters of Easter. What, what, what direction are we going to go? And so I bounced some ideas. He bounced some ideas. And so today's message is simply entitled, It is the Lord. It is the Lord. Here's the context. We know that the disciples, uh, after the resurrection, there was a lot of fear uh, they find themselves behind locked doors. Jesus just sort of materializes through those doors and ministers without Thomas in the bunch. And then he ministers again with Thomas in there. And then now we find ourselves in a very familiar setting for these fishermen. And so if you have your Bibles, your smartphone, your iPad, your Kindle, turn with me to the 21st chapter of the Gospel of John. And it's going to be my hope for the next few minutes we'll try to get through 14 verses together. The Bible says, after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. We know it to be the Sea of Galilee. And he revealed himself in this way. So what does the apostle John mean when he says Jesus revealed himself? Now let's, let's learn some theology together. Hypostatic union. When Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit in Mary's womb, when he was born nine months later, he was 100% human, but he was also 100% God. And therefore, he had a human body, just like ours, that when it was hot, he would sweat. When it was cold, he would shiver. When uh, he was sad, he would weep. He, he experienced all the emotions that you and I walk through, yet without sin. But after he died on the cross and rose again on the third day, the Bible teaches that he had an incorruptible body now that could literally pass through locked doors. He could materialize at any moment, anywhere, because it says he revealed himself. So the disciples had left Jerusalem. They had made their way north on the map to Galilee because Jesus had told them to do so. Notice with me on the screen in Matthew 28 and 10, Then Jesus said to them, Don't be afraid, because they had been afraid of the Jews. They hung Jesus on the cross. They might hang them on a cross. But he now tells them, don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Now, because of the attrition of, of Judas, who had hung himself now, there was only 11 disciples left. But evidently, all 11 did not travel together in one group. Now we see seven of them at the Sea of Tiberias, or the Sea of Galilee. Look at verse 2. Simon Peter, Thomas, who's called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, we know them to be James and John, and two others of his disciples were together that are unnamed. 
Normally, when I'm reading a list of names in Scripture or reading the genealogies that we find in both the Old and the New Testaments, I just sort of go through them because I mispronounce about every other name anyway. But I think it's significant to notice the order that the Apostle John gives us these names. Why? Thomas was the doubter. We talked about him just a few weeks ago. He was one of our characters of Easter. Peter was the denier. But yet we're going to read further in John 21 here in the next couple of weeks that he's restored and then he's recommissioned and he becomes the de facto leader of the disciples. Now what this taught me as I was studying this past week is that there's a lesson here that our church, like every other New Testament Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church, is filled with doubters, filled with deniers, filled with sinners of all varieties. But if we have confessed our sins and we believe in the gospel, the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus, we're forgiven. So now... We see these seven men poised to learn a great lesson from Jesus, and they're going to be restored into gospel ministry. Now, let me give you the end game. They all wind up being disciples, and they wind up being missionaries, and they take the gospel to the whole world based upon the Great Commission in Matthew 28. But before they get there, they have to go fishing. Look at verse 3. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. And they went out and they got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. I consulted probably eight different commentaries on this particular passage to give myself a well-rounded understanding of what was taking place in John chapter 21. But one thing that all of them discussed was the impatience of the Apostle Peter. Peter has had this track record, if you will, in the New Testament of always stepping out, always doing something before everybody else does. So what does Peter say? Hey, I'm going to go fishing. Well, a couple of the commentaries and theologians that I read really dismissed that and called it sin because they said he was going back instead of moving forward. I don't necessarily agree with that assessment because many of us have different vocations and career paths, but we also come to God's house and we worship together. And simply because we go back to our jobs on Monday, like Peter went back to his previous job, doesn't mean that you're a backslider. It simply means you're going back to work. So I believe in reality that's what Peter was doing, but I don't know what his spirit was because it says that night they caught nothing and professional fishermen that's how they make a living that's how they put food on the table that's how they pay their mortgage that's how they are able to buy and sell and all these fishermen in that boat that night they caught nothing so there's a lesson here for me there's a lesson here for you there's a lesson for our church and the lesson of the empty net is that very sad yet possibility that they were attempting to serve Christ in the energy of their flesh, and then they accomplished nothing doing it that way. I thought about my journey this past Tuesday. There was so much that I wanted to do prior to accepting the call in the ministry. 
I've told you before, I worked at Steelcase, an office furniture manufacturing company here in town. I did it for almost eight years. I enjoyed my time with my coworkers. I, I, I loved uh, having a goal and having to have a certain amount of units out on a certain particular uh, day. I enjoyed doing that, but it was in the energy of my flesh because I'd been called to preach. Now, not everybody's called to preach. Not everybody is called to serve as a missionary. Not everyone is called to be on staff. Not everybody's called to do that. But yet, no matter what your vocation may be, if you're only doing it in the energy of your flesh and not being led by the Spirit to do it, you're missing something. There may be no joy in what you do because you're doing it in the energy of the flesh instead of through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, another point that jumped out at me in this particular narrative is that most people have a fishing story. And, and over the years, uh, especially when I was serving over in Hazel Green, downtown Lickskillet, if you will, when I was at Bethlehem, Lon, my associate pastor, was a great fisherman and a great hunter. Every time he would go, he would, he would catch a bunch of fish. Every time he would hunt, he would kill something and bring it back. And, I mean, it, always. But every time I went with him, we didn't see anything. We didn't catch anything. And I would go... Lon, what's the problem here? And he'd look at me and go, you're the problem. You're the reason why the fish aren't biting. You're, you're the reason why we hadn't seen any dove or, or ducks or whatever we were hunting. John has a fishing story. And I think his story from the first century is applicable to us in the 21st century. Look at verse 4. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. So again, it leads me to believe that maybe even his physical body had changed. He was now in an incorruptible body. I don't know what it looked like. Maybe it was simply because they were a few hundred yards offshore fishing and, and because they couldn't see clearly in, in the morning fog, they didn't know who it was. They did not know that it was Jesus. But then Jesus says to them, children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, no. Well, Jesus is God in the flesh. He already knows that they don't have any fish, but he asked them the question anyway. You ever felt like that? You know that your parent already knows the answer, but the parent goes ahead and asks the child the question. And then we as children get old enough to recognize that's what they're doing. You ever had anybody give you unsolicited advice? That's what we're about to have happen in our story. So he said to them, verse 6, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So when Lon and I go fishing, I don't give him fishing advice. He gives me fishing advice. Why? Because he's been successful as a fisherman. When we go hunting, I don't give him advice. He gives me advice because he's a good hunter. We see in our story that even though they did not at this moment recognize that it was Jesus, because they were so desperate, because their nets were empty, they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. I don't know who this is for at home today. It may be someone here on campus. But there may be someone in your life right now that's trying to give you some advice and you're unwilling to listen to it and your nets are still empty because of it. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a career path. I don't know what it might be, but, I, but I'm telling you, sometimes God will use other people to speak into our life to put us back on the right path.
doesn't have to be the pastor. It doesn't have to be your Sunday school teacher. It may be a total stranger. And at this particular moment, they had no idea who Jesus was. Now, it's going to be revealed that it was the Savior in just a moment. But at this particular time, they were just willing to listen to the advice. They were desperate enough. They'd been fishing all night long. They did not have one fish in their net. Hey, just put it on the other side and you'll catch a bunch of fish. And that's exactly what they did. So what can we learn from this particular fish story? Well, Jesus first started it with a question. Do you have any fish? Now, again, asking us, do we have any fish, probably is not where we're living right now. But maybe there's a question that he's asking us about what we're going through. Then, once the right response comes, secondly, Jesus gives a command. Cast the net on the other side or the right side of the boat. There are some of us, we've come up empty lately because we've been fishing on the wrong side of the boat. We've done everything that we know to do within our context and our framework, but we've been doing it in the energy of the flesh instead of the power of the Spirit. Then in obedience, Jesus sends blessings. They were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of the fish. Again, I don't know what you're walking through today. I don't know what you're going through, but God does. And you have not been forgotten. Sometimes we cry out to God. Zeke and I have these conversations, but Daddy, I don't think God's listening. I said, oh yeah, he's listening, but maybe right now is not time for the answer that you want. Or maybe the answer is coming that you don't see coming. Maybe it's going to be a whole different thing than you've been asking for. He said, Dad, that's scary. I said, it requires faith. And that's where many of us are today. Some of us are even afraid to ask. James says that we don't have because we don't ask. Because when we ask, we ask with the wrong motive. Why do we want to do what we do? One of the questions during my ordination council was, Joel, why do you want to preach? And I said, because I'm called. Which, of course, was the right answer for that ordination council but let me tell you for the last 30 plus years I've asked myself that question a lot of times why do you want to preach why do you want to do what you do and a lot of factors come in over time I want to take care of my family I believe vocationally this is what I'm called to do any number of answers but I think for every one of us in this room God through his son Jesus, does want to send us blessings, but we have to be willing to take the advice. When it comes to us, either from someone we know or at this particular moment, from someone we don't even think we know. Look at verse 7. Well, that disciple whom Jesus loved, and I've always had an issue with John just a little bit. He refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, I know this is written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But does that sound sort of self-serving? I am the disciple whom Jesus loved. So, yes, John, and it says, Therefore he said to Peter, Peter the one who had denied, It is the Lord. So John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, recognizes, Oh, man, that's Jesus on the beach. 
When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work. He was a fisherman. He, he probably didn't have a shirt on because it was so hot. And they'd been fishing all night long, hadn't caught anything. And he threw himself into the sea. There goes Simon Peter again. Leaving those other six guys to bring in this big haul of fish by themselves to the seashore. I have written in my notes, John was always quicker to perceive, Peter was quicker to act. Remember in the garden when they're coming to arrest Jesus and he pulls his sword out and cuts off the ear and it says, almost, he does it in one motion. He, was, he sometimes let his emotions control him. But it says that he was quicker to act. John was quicker to perceive. Look at verse 8. The other disciples came in the boat dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land but about 100 yards off. And when they got on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore. So Simon does at least come back and try to help. And it's full of large fish, 153 of them. I can remember sitting in a Bible college class and somebody going, how did they know it was 150? Listen, if you're a good fisherman, you're going to count how many fish you catch. Because every time I go with Lon, he would let me know, I caught 43 and you caught four. He would let me know how many fish. So this is not out of the ordinary here to know exactly how many fish. 153 of them, and although there were so many, the net was not torn. What if God is waiting on us to get our act together through repentance and he wants to fill up our nets? He wants to bless us like we've never been blessed before. He wants to do things in us that we've never even conceived could happen in our lives. Are you willing to trust him to fill up your net? And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Because they now knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came and took the bread and he gave it to them and so with the fish. Let me give you some observations as I try to close. Jesus showed such compassion for tired and hungry disciples that he had already prepared breakfast. There are some of us here today that are tired. I know the last 13 months for many of us have been very trying for some, we've been able to navigate pretty well, but here we are finding ourselves, hopefully, almost willing to embrace a post-COVID culture in the coming months, but yet we're still tired. Most of us don't look like we've missed any meals, so I don't know about being hungry physically, but maybe hungry spiritually. Over the course of this morning, over the last three services, I've had several of our sweet senior adults say, this is my first Sunday back. I've got both my shots now. It's so good to be back. And one sweet lady, she had her mask on, and she was standing there in the hallway, and she goes, it feels so good to be able to do this. I know all of us have felt that same emotion. But Jesus had compassion for the tired and hungry. He wants to have compassion on you. I know that sometimes we want to appear strong. I've got everything together. And sometimes we're just tired and hungry. And we just need compassion. 
we don't need another pep talk. <laughs> uh, we, we, don't, we don't need any more coaching. We don't need another sermon. We just need somebody to have compassion. And can I remind you, as I remind myself, I have to tell myself sometime that with Zeke. I have to do that with Danny. It's not just about, hey, it's going to be all right. Come on, you know, you know pull, up your, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Everything's going to be all right. Sometimes you just need to have compassion like Jesus has compassion. We also see in this narrative an invitation. Won't you come and have breakfast? You know what? I, I believe Jesus was telling those seven disciples, boys, the past is the past. Peter, you're no longer Pete the denier. Thomas, you're no longer Thomas the doubter. We're moving forward. This is now full fellowship. I love you guys. And now in obedience, they've taken the nets from one side of the ship, put it on the other side of the ship, and now we've got a great, great catch. I think it was also a reminder to those guys, and I want it to be a reminder to us as we move forward as a church. He's going to meet our needs, whatever those needs may be. And I know that in a church our size, when you bring all the three services together, I know that there's a number of needs in families. There's brokenness, there's struggles, all of those kind of things. And I know that for some, during the pandemic, they felt nobody cares. Widows and widowers have been lonely. I could go on and on. But I was reminded studying Tuesday of Hebrews 13 and 5. I will never leave you nor forsake you. He may be quiet. God may be silent. We may be in his waiting room right now, but he says, I'll never leave you. And, and that's a promise that you have to take to heart. I, I, I can't make you believe that, but by faith, I want you to believe that. I believe it for my family and for me, even when I don't get my way. And, and trying to, to raise up a 15-year-old young man to say, Zeke, sometimes you don't get everything you want. It's not going to happen exactly the way that you want it to happen, son. And so are you going to trust God at that moment when you don't get what you want? Because it's easy to trust God when you're getting what you want. But it's a sign of maturity to continue to praise him no matter what. So I think the Holy Spirit, through our Savior, settled forever in the minds of the apostles I'm not only going to take care of you now, I'm going to take care of you for the rest of your life. Whoever that's for today, I want you to take that to heart. That in this present moment, whatever you're going through, he's here for you. But he's also going to be here for you down the road. My parents are coming up on their 58th wedding anniversary. I'm coming up on my 57th birthday. And I think back... Of all the teaching moments, all the times, whether it was with sports or academics or relationships, whatever it may be. His promise was true then and it's true now. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. So, what does the disciples learn prior to this moment on the beach? Matthew 4 and 19 and Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I want that to be part of our theme verse and our vision moving forward as a church. 
Many of you may be unaware that during the pandemic, we have baptized on Tuesday nights, we've baptized on Thursday nights, and in several cases, we've baptized on Sunday morning, and you got to participate and be joyful along with us. But what if God has plans in 2022 that we baptize 200 people during that year, or 300 people, or 400 people during that year? That means there's going to be a whole lot of water going on. There's going to be a whole lot. Our heating bill is going to go up on the baptistry. Amen? I'm asking God, Lord, I want you to do something that's never been done here before. Let us become fishers of men. And I think God will be pleased. Let me finish up our particular text. Look at verse 14. So this was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So what does this teach us? This former denier, this former doubter, it reminds us that Jesus uses weak and sinful people to advance his kingdom because there are no other kinds of people. Every one of us in this room, everyone that's watching online today, weak and sinful. But I'm going to use you anyway to advance my kingdom. So when I was studying Tuesday, I said, I want one more passage, preferably from the Old Testament, to be my summation. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to look at Isaiah chapter 6 with me, verses 5 and following. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So there's the recognition that I need something beyond myself. Then one of the seraphim, which is an angel, flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with the tongs from the altar. He touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. This is a picture of the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I've now been purified. I've now been cleansed. And then Isaiah says, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am. Send me. And all of us preachers, when we're studying, we have this thought in our mind of, People being rallied to the cause. The Holy Spirit draws people and a hundred people say, here I am, send me. Here I am. What about you? It's going to take an effort that's beyond just a pastor and his staff. It's going to take individuals who will be raised up by the Holy Spirit and go, I'll be a fisher of men. I'll be a fisher of women. I'll be a discipler of men. I'll be a discipler of women. Here I am, Lord. Send me. That's what John 21, verses 1 through 14 is all about. Not just seven guys getting in a boat and going fishing. That's all you got out of it. I hadn't done a good job articulating the sermon today. But if you have allowed the Spirit to reveal to you, God wants me to do something. 
There is something for me to do. Even though at one time I may have been a doubter. At, at another time I was a denier. But now I'm clean and I'm forgiven and I've been washed by the blood. Now, God, what do you want me to do? Let's go fishing. Let's go fishing in Athens, Alabama. Let's go fishing in Limestone County. At prayer time this morning, John Crocker shared with our prayer group, there are 60 thousand people in limestone county that don't know jesus christ as their lord and savior they don't go to church anywhere where there's a church of christ or a methodist or a baptist church on almost every street corner in our city people still dying and going to hell from athens alabama i pray that we will become fishers of men i want you to bow your heads with me you've been so gracious Those of you that, at home, that are at home today, thank you for tuning in. I, I know that you've made some very deliberate, conscious decisions to remain at home right now because of maybe your health or your age, uh, waiting on that second shot, whatever. We respect you, and we desire to minister to you. So if something has been sung this morning, if something has been said this morning that has touched your heart, and you would like somebody to talk to, we have some counselors available right now. 256-232-0602. These men and women of faith would love to have prayer with you, listen to your story, where you've been, where you want the Holy Spirit to take you. They would love to minister to you. You may also contact us via email at info at fbcathens.org. Once again, thank you tuning in. Don't leave just yet. For those of you that are here on campus, it's been good to sing without a mask. It's been good to worship Jesus, hearing your voices around me and behind me today. It's been a long time coming. I believe the best days of First Baptist Church are ahead. But it's going to require all of us. Not just a small few, but all of us working together. What can I do, Joel? What are your gifts? What has God uniquely given you to do in such a time as this? Would you prayerfully consider that? Let your Sunday school teacher know. Let Pastor Keith know. If you have students from 7th grade to 12th grade, let Pastor Keenan know. Bed babies to the 6th grade, let Brother Greg know. We want to minister not only to you, but to our community. But in order for us to do that effectively, we must take on the role of being fishers. Fishers of men, fishers of women, fishers of teenagers, fishers of children. So Lord, I, I come this morning and, and Lord, I pray over our church membership, our church family. But I also pray for those who you will send to us. That will be called, prepared, and willing to serve. 
Lord, I pray for those of us that the last 13 months have been very, very difficult. Transitions that we thought would be much easier have been much harder. So Holy Spirit, would you just erupt in your house today and grant comfort and peace and mercy and grace. Lord, we commit this song to you. As Greg and the band lead us, may we make a move and come and pray if you so lead. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Let's stand.